1: Free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
0: Welcome into another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chukri. A lot to cover today as we'll take a look at the edge rushers in this upcoming draft. Is, yes, we are literally one week away from the NFL draft. I'm going to give my personal ranking of the top five, six edge rushers. We'll see how many we get to. Uh, Trey Young with some words for the officiating after the game as we get ready for Hawks on Friday. And well, luckily they almost avoided a, a disaster. Well, they they did avoid a disaster in Washington because they're lucky that there weren't some surface-to-air missiles deployed. Yeah, it's a crazy story. I'll explain it all next. It is hitting hard with John Chuckry on Locked on Sports Atlanta.
1: This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now.
0: We welcome you into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. We thank you so much for being a part of the show today. We want you to go to our YouTube channel. Of course, you know where to head. Go to YouTube, get in the browser put in Locked On Sports Atlanta, and when that pops up, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, tell us what you think of the show. Also, don't forget, you can follow me on my Twitter page at JMCH316. We are one week, yes, one week, seven days away from the NFL Draft, and look, we've uh, talked a lot about the NFL Draft with the Atlanta Falcons and how important it is and how obviously now that the Matt Ryan era is over and Julio gone, who knows what Grady Jarrett um, will have uh, happen to him if he stays around, Calvin Ridley on suspension. It is a new era of Falcons football. With that, though, in the draft, I still think that the edge position is still the absolute top priority for the Falcons. And look, we've gone over all the numbers, right? The Falcons were literally 11 sacks behind the next lowest team. They had 18 sacks in 17 games this past season. That's a dreadful number for an NFL franchise. You can't be that deficient at one of the most important ways to change the outcome of a game. And the Falcons have to address the edge player, to me, at the top of their draft. Now, whether that's they stay at eight, whether that's they move up, back, sideways, I don't really care. But I want whoever is the best best edge player, excuse me, in the draft at whatever spot the Falcons pick at. Now, I'm going to give you kind of my personal ranking for the edge players. This is based upon having seen these guys playing. This is also based upon interviews that I've done with people who are on campus that are guys that watch these guys every day. So we're talking beat writers for the uh, local paper. We're talking about the play-by-play voices uh, of the particular teams. Had a chance last night to catch up with Jim Brandstatter. 43 years as the play-by-play voice of Michigan football. So, you know, guys like that that come with credibility and also give me a pretty good insight and kind of shoot straight with me about what they are or what they are not. So here is my personal list. When I look at the edge players in this draft, here's how I would rank them. All right, number one for me is Kayvon Thibodeau. Now, I know there's lots of questions and, in fact, had a chance yesterday to Talk with the guy who first put out the story about does Thibodeau maybe not love football? Does he take some plays off? Blah 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 blah. Well, first off, I hate to tell everybody, but you know, most defensive linemen do take some plays off and things like that. But anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. I think Thibodeau, six foot four, 254 pounds, is the best edge player in this draft, though. When you look at his production, and it was limited because If nothing else, because of injuries, COVID, things like that, it really did limit how much production he actually got out on the field. But when he's at his best, he's as good as any player in college football. He's a guy who can put his hand in the dirt. He's a guy who can play a Sam linebacker. He's a guy who can stand on the outside of a line of scrimmage. I just think when you look at the athleticness that Thibodeau has, and I think if you look at his production when he's ready to go and he's healthy, Think about last year. He really only played about nine games that he was healthy last year, and he did miss the Ohio State game being one of those. But certainly he's been a game wrecker in his time in college. I just think when you look at all of the factors of upside and everything else that go along with Thibodeau, I think he's the number one edge rusher for me in this draft. Number two for me is Aiden Hutchinson, and he may be the most complete edge player that we have in this draft. It was interesting. I was talking with Jim Branstadter last night about Aiden Hutchinson, and he said, you know, John, uh, Hutchinson had a bit of a chip on his shoulder, and that's the second time I've heard this about a a defensive end or edge player from a Big Ten school. The other was a guy we'll talk about in George Karloftis, and I thought to my and I, it just dawned on me to ask him, like, what is it about that, you know? And and the answer was sort of you know what I figured, you know, the SEC players, the Big Ten, uh, I should say, the Ohio State players. So many of those guys get a lot more love than even say a Hutchinson at Michigan or you know a Karloftis at Purdue. That sometimes they get overshadowed about how good that they really are. We hear all all kinds of things about you know the Georgia players, the Alabama defensive players, Ohio State defensive players. But Aiden Hutchinson was maybe the most productive defensive player in the country last year. He was the runner-up to the Heisman, of course. Six foot six, 260 pounds. He may be the most complete edge player that there is in the draft. So if you're talking about a guy with the combination of size, strength, speed, play the run, play uh, you know uh, in, on passing downs and get the quarterback, there may not be a better guy that is in this draft than Aiden Hutchinson. I love both of those guys at the top, but if we're being realistic, the idea that they will probably be there at eight is probably sort of far-fetched. I don't believe that either one of those guys is gonna be there for the Falcons to draft. So with that, as we get into the next grouping of players, my next uh, edge player, excuse me, maybe the most freakish athlete in the entire draft, Trayvon Walker out of Georgia, six foot five, 272 pounds. Now, the thing about Walker is, statistically, if you look at him, he obviously doesn't have the eye-catching numbers. He doesn't have the eye-popping numbers. You know, Hutchinson's got that big 15-sack number that jumps right out at you, right? So, Walker, while he doesn't have that, certainly played a lot of different roles in Georgia's defense. He was asked to drop in coverage a lot of different times. I don't think in the NFL you're going to see Walker have to drop into coverage and do some of the things and really help out other guys on the defense the way that he did at the University of Georgia. If you can focus him on just allowing him to take his athleticism, take his speed and his size, and just use that to go after quarterbacks in the NFL. And let's face it, in the NFL, when you have all of this talent around you, sometimes you don't need guys like Walker to work with other guys like you would in college, and try to make other guys better, (coughs) guys like Walker, you can turn them loose on their own. I think Walker, given a chance to just kind of spread his wings and be a pass rusher completely in the NFL, I think he can be a double-digit sack guy. I think he can be a guy that puts up big numbers in the NFL for a long time. And again, when you're talking about six foot five, 272 pounds, and you can move and run like he does, he's an absolute load out there. Number four for me, Jermaine Johnson, out of uh, out of uh, Florida State, six foot four, two hundred fifty four pounds. He was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year this past year. If you want to talk about guys who did themselves well early on in the evaluation process, few guys did better than Jermaine Johnson, and he excelled at the Senior Bowl uh, this year, and that was the place that I think really started turning a lot of heads. Now remember. He went to the University of Georgia to play, didn't end up making their squad and, and just couldn't find a spot there, transfers to Florida State, and he becomes the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. I love Johnson. He's may- maybe my personal favorite, uh, given where the Falcons draft. Um, so we'll be interested to see if he's going to be there. And very quickly, my last pick, George Karloftis, number five out of Purdue. After talking to Purdue's play-by-play guy, I really gotten more of an appreciation for how good Karloftis was. Maybe he doesn't have the speed of some of the other guys, but he's got that quote-unquote one-two will. He's got that motor. He gets after people, and he's another guy who plays with a chip on his shoulder. He doesn't look at himself being compared to Hutchinson and some of the guys from Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia. He's a guy that you look at, and he's got that brute strength, and he's got that power. Can he have a little bit of speed to go with it? If he does, he could be very productive in the NFL. So that's my top five edge players. Coming up in the draft, and we'll talk more about the draft next week and uh, give you my thoughts about that. When we come back, though, Trey Young had some comments for the officiating after what happened down in Miami. Was he sending a message? We'll kind of break that down next. It is hitting hard with John Chuckry on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back at it on hitting hard with John Chuckry here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Don't forget, head over to our YouTube page. I want you to. Hit the subscribe button. Tell us what you think about the show. Give us a review. Also, too, check me out on Twitter. It is at JMCH316. Thought that Trey Young sent a good message to the officiating after the game the other night, Game 2 in Miami, that, of course, the Hawks lost 115-105, setting up now a must-win scenario coming up starting on Friday. Hawks have to obviously win on Friday and Sunday and keep this thing going out there. Really can't afford, I don't think, to go back down to one in miami so you have to win two home games but after the game he told reporters quote obviously we felt we let one slip away but if the refs are going to let them be as physical as they are and not call fouls it's going to be hard to really do anything unquote now look there's no doubt that the miami heat are are going to continue to implement a specific strategy against trey young the book is let's face it on trey is you body him you physical him you pick him up high and you kind of rough him up and beat him up a, a little bit and the heat have done a really good job of that and you know for being honest trey has not had two of his more outstanding shooting games he was fine from the field the other night just his three-point shooting left a lot to be desired and of course all the turnovers that <laughs> excuse me, led to so many Miami Point uh, or Miami Heat uh, baskets um, the other night. You look at the free throw disadvantage, I guess, if you will. The Heat shot almost twice as many free throws as what the Hawks did. This is Trey to me sending a message about the idea of, okay, guys, when I come back home and I am the star, we got to get this thing on a little bit more even keel. Now, I think the Heat... Uh, I should say the Hawks can also help Trey Young out with the idea of setting some picks up high and getting him free. And that may be even in, you know, say when you inbound uh, the ball, even getting some of that before he crosses over, you know, the half court uh, strike. So freeing him up and getting him to where he can get a little bit loose and get up a little bit of a head of steam. But I do like the idea of Trey putting that out there because, I thought overall the officiating in the game left a lot to be desired. All right, let's 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 call it like it is. The officiating was dreadful. It wasn't very good. And you got Kyle Lowry out there like he's the scarecrow. You know, He's throwing his arms up and he's running into people and he's knocking people down and all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, he's out there acting like a goofball. Dead men and these guys are going up and over, guys. <coughs> they, they really played a physical brand of basketball and didn't get a lot of calls for it which is okay if you're going to call that consistent but if you're not going to consistently call it and they didn't call it consistent because on one hand lowry's flapping and flopping and flying and flooping and all this kind of goofy stuff (coughs) but trey or i should say but lowry when he's going to the basket is picking up these ticky tack fouls and getting a chance for a three-point play so the officiating excuse me, was dreadful in that game, that has to change. Well, that's the message that Trey Young is trying to send to the officials. I mean, they have to get better. This thing has to even up a little bit, and it has to be not so one-sided disadvantage against the Hawks because the Hawks are not a team that (coughs) is going to go out and get physical with you and want to fight you. They may be able to do some of that inside with you if they have Capella, okay? But without that, their perimeter players, Gallinari, Herter, Bogey, Trey, the last thing that those guys are known for is their physical play. The last thing that anybody's going to use to describe Trey Young is a physical player. Now, give Trey a lot of credit. He played the eighth most minutes in the NBA this past season. So it's not like Trey isn't tough It's not like Trey isn't durable, but he only shot four free throws the other night. And for a guy like Trey, who had 20 shots from the field and only found a way to get four free throws out of it, there is something wrong with that. And Trey is an established enough star now that he should be able to find his way into getting calls. If you look at the regular season, he was one of the most, um, how do I say, let let me put it like this. He was a guy who finished, I think, in the top five in free throw attempts on the season. So during the regular season, he did a really good job of finding his way to the free throw stripe. Well, four times in a game that is very tough, very physical in playoff basketball, and when the Miami Heat are shooting whatever it was, 29 free throws in a game, and he's got four, something has to give there. So I'm hoping that the home cooking... And I mean this sincerely. I'm hoping that there is some home cooking that if you're gonna tell me that the Miami Heat did or did not get some of the calls that they had simply because they're the home team and you know you gotta earn it on the road, okay. That script needs to flip coming up on Friday. And I thought it was important for Trey Young to get his message out there that hey, if you're gonna let them bottom me up and get physical, you're gonna have to at the same time you know, either call it both ways, give me some calls or figure something out, but it can't be this big of a discrepancy. And I know Steve Holman on the broadcast talked about like this was a a very young and, and probably sort of inexperienced playoff group of officials that they had the other night. Hopefully that, you know, dynamic is, isn't what hurts the Hawks or whatever like that. They've got plenty of their own things that they have to fix, right? The The Hawks have to figure out how to hit wide open shots. The Hawks have to figure out how not to turn over the basketball so much. The Hawks have to figure out how to get a better shot selection, moving the ball more around the perimeter. They've got plenty of their own things to figure out, but you don't want to get in a situation where you're not only at home and you're fighting, scratching calling for your own life, but you're also having to overcome the lack of quality officiating in the game. And I thought that was one of the things that just stood out, you know, This all kind of spurred itself from the offensive foul that Trey Young picked up late in that game. Going after a ball, and uh, he's run into by a Heat defender, and he gets an offensive foul call on him. And I don't know how they determined it was an offensive foul, but he gets the call on him, and he ends up looking at the official and saying, your effing calls are trash. Now, I think I've said that a lot of times in my life to certain people, but um, it's true you know, the effing calls were trash in that game the other night. And Trey took an opportunity to make sure that he put a bug in their ear that, hey, man, I'm a star too. Let's get this thing back on track. We're at home on Friday. Let's make sure we call a good game so that I don't have to tell you that your effing calls are trash again uh, for it. So don't forget Hawks and Heat coming up on Friday. We're going to kind of preview the game tomorrow and take a look at what the Hawks need to do to get back in this series. When we get back, though, The Washington Nationals are lucky that there weren't missiles deployed to knock these bogeys out of the sky. I'll explain all of that next. It is Hitting Hard with John Chuckry on Locked on Sports Atlanta. We are back on Hitting Hard with John Chuckry here on Locked on Sports Atlanta. Please do go to our YouTube channel, subscribe to it, give us a review, and tell us what you think about the, the show. Also, you can always follow me on Twitter, at JMCH316, and of course, check out the local Twitter page, at Locked on Sports Atl. Well, last night um, at Nationals Park, um, you know, look, it was a fun little celebration of, hey, we've got the guys that are going to parachute in to Nationals Park, right? We, we've all seen this, right? The guys, you know, you fly the plane over, the guys jump out the army guys jump out in this case it was the uh who was it the u.s army golden knights and they parachute down into the stadium and it's a cool visual and it's a neat little way to get the game started right seems pretty cool and straightforward right except for one thing the people that put all this on the u.s army golden knights didn't alert the u.s capitol police force who without knowing that there was a plane flying over restricted airspace over our nation's capital over by one of the most important government buildings in America, put out the alarm and had to evacuate the capital and send people out. Yes, this was a real thing that happened last night. They called it that it looked like it was a probable threat, but it was actually a a plane that was flying overhead but was actually a plane carrying members of the U.S. Army Golden Knights, who then proceeded to pro, parachute, as we said, into the Washington Nationals baseball stadium for a pregame demonstration as they were taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks. So around six thirty p.m. yesterday, an alert came through the U.S. Capitol Police force that there were an air there was an airplane flying ahead that didn't have the proper clearance and authority and whatever, uh, according to. Um, uh, Sean, uh, no, sorry, according to, um, uh, I, I think it's Irene Dolan. She said, quote, I was walking the dogs past uh, Dirksen Senate office building. People started streaming out all at once. They told me to turn around and get away as fast as possible. Some people were calm, but many were genuinely panicked. I know I was. Oy. um investigators are still working to determine what the hell happened out there. I'll tell you what happened. Nobody let them know, and all of a sudden, they supposedly started getting ready to scramble the missiles. This is a real sentence, that they have surface-to-air missiles that can be deployed to obviously knock out anything that's above. Quote: The Capital Region is defended by several surface-to-air missile sites, as well as military air crews on round-the-clock alert. Fortunately, they didn't have to finish off the airplane. How funny would that visual have been? How bad could that have gone? Hey, we're gonna have a celebration. Hey, look, the U.S. Army, you know, Army Knights are parachuting in, and all of a sudden the Capitol Police think it's Red Dawn. Like, all of a sudden, the Ruskies are invading like they did, you know, and we had to get Patrick Swayze to wipe them all out. Could you imagine if if they had not gotten this thing straightened out and figured out? Like, all of a sudden, we're shooting missiles in the air at just a friendly sports event uh, pregame ceremony. Nancy Pelosi said said the um, uh, apparent failure to notify Capitol Police of the pre-planned flyover in National Stadium is, quote, outrageous and inexcusable. Congress looks forward to reviewing the results of a thorough after-action review that determines what precisely went wrong today and who with the Federal Aviation Administration will be head accountable for this outrageous and frightening mistake. Yeah, I got news for you. People are getting fired over this one. Now, listen, we can make fun of the idea of Nancy Pelosi, making sure that we spend valuable congressional time on who's the jabron that didn't let them know that there were planes going to fly over restricted airspace, and this wasn't a recreation or a filming of Red Dawn 2, that this was just the U.S. Army Golden Knights that were going to drop in on National Stadium, which we've seen a 100 times across you know, all kinds of sporting events over the years and things like that. Again, this thing could have ended tragically. I'm glad obviously nothing happened and we can kind of laugh about it now, how ridiculous the whole thing is out there. But just the idea of people being thrust out of the U.S. Capitol and this mass evacuation happening, you know, this this idea of people just running away from these buildings and things like that and just having at the last second be told, we got to get you out of here. Now, by the way too, if you know the U.S. Uh, Capitol Police they're not exactly the most, um, what do I want to say, um, high-tech or best police force around. Like they, they are slightly above what the Keystone Cops uh, normally are. But this idea of imagine if they would have had to launch missiles and deployed any aircraft, because that's the other thing they would do too, is they'd have aircraft that would deploy and escort the plane in and out of there. And there have been instances where planes have flown in to that restricted airspace. I mean, most everything above Washington DC is restricted airspace. The Capitol, the White House, the Washington mine, all of those things are restricted. And, you know, even if you fly into DC, you know, if you're flying into uh, Dulles by and large, you know, you have to, you know, there's a certain path that those planes have to fly. So it's very difficult just to even fly into DC because you have to take a certain pathway and all that kind of stuff. And, And pilots have always talked about how difficult it is. But here's a situation where these goofballs get all this set up and think it's going to be a fun time. How do you not notify these people? How do you not notify the the either the U.S. Capitol or the FAA about what's going to happen? My guess, my personal guess, I'm just saying, is that they did notify somebody from the FAA. They did notify somebody from the U.S. Capitol Police. And that message just didn't get translated to somebody. Now, again, I'm glad Nancy Pelosi is ready to spend. Because imagine, just imagine what a simple congressional hearing and investigation got. Think about how many, probably tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars are going to be wasted in all of this. Just simply because some ham and egger didn't get on as walkie-talkie and his, you know, ham radio CB and just, you know, send out a breaker breaker one nod This here's the snowman. Uh, we're looking for the bandit. I mean, just send out a message that these plane, this plane is coming over. And I'm, it's not like it hasn't happened before at Washington National Stadium, but this whole thing could have really gone sideways. I'm glad that it didn't, but it's funny to think about all of the fallout. It's funny to think about the visual. Imagine like the news stations too, getting reports of, People are in mass exodus out of the U.S. Capitol. You you know that the news agencies had to be scrambling and thinking to themselves, "What the hell did we miss? What was going on here?" Meanwhile, <laughs> these two guys jump out of an airplane. That all they are is just a couple of army guys jumping out of an airplane, and they just think that they're just kind of coasting in. Oh, look, we're you know we're gonna we're gonna throw out the first ball tonight, you know. You know, I mean, it could have gone really wrong. Yeah, you know, it's gonna be a fun night at the ballpark, and I throw out the first one. here comes this missile like shooting right up out of the sky after him. I mean, anyway, so if you want to know like where your tax dollars go, what 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 happens with your US tax dollars, you know, every two weeks when you look at your paycheck and you say, Oh, okay, um, You know, I got like FICA and I got this and I got that and all this good kind of stuff. Where the hell all my money go? Um, Thank the Washington Nationals and the U.S. Army Knights and the FAA and the U.S. Capitol Police because somebody couldn't figure this thing out and now somebody's going to lose their job over all of this. We want to thank you for being part of Locked On Sports Atlanta and for joining me today. Thanks for making Hitting Hard with John Chukri your number one listen, your first listen every single day. Now make your second listen ATL Day Ones, Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste. They speak to the heart of the city of Atlanta. Two friends just chopping it up. Hawks, Falcons, Braves, Georgia Bulldogs. Step into the conversation and stay a while. ATL Day Ones is part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and that's free and available on YouTube and everywhere you listen to podcasts. And, of course, we do ask you to go on our YouTube page, subscribe, leave us a review, tell us what you think, give us a uh, couple of comments uh, on our posts as well and follow me on my twitter page at jmch316 we will be back with you tomorrow we will get you ready for hawks in miami heat game three this has been hitting hard with john chuckery on locked on sports atlanta
1: A hey, prime members you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on amazon music download the amazon music app today